Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, July 20th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Chris, everybody likes your voice. Everybody's writing in. They said they love your voice. Uh, d- d- F the guy that left that that uh, iTunes review. Yes, I'm 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 very touched. I, I just want to say I didn't go on that rant because I was like fishing for compliments. I was just frustrated. But uh, since then, I've I've received several positive feedbacks about my uh, my deep rumbly voice. So thank you, everyone out there who stood up for my weird, ancient <laughs> demon voice that I've had since fifth grade. I, I think in defiance of that guy, you should go on like Fiverr and then put put up your services as a voiceover guy. You know, I've I've always wanted to get into that because despite that one person's criticism, I have had people over the years tell me like I should do voiceover work. I just have no idea how to break into that business and I'm too lazy to figure it out. Someone tell me. If anyone out there is an agent who represents voiceover <laughs> people, shoot me an email and I will gladly take that job. Okay, let's jump into it because we have some big news today and that is that Tenet the, has been canceled. The release date of Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film, has been canceled once again. Uh, I mean, we expected this. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so yeah, we all saw this coming. Um, the, the one interesting thing about this news is that uh, Warner Brothers has not given it an official new date. So rather than pushing it every two weeks, which is what they've been doing, it's now pretty much TBA slash indefinite. Um Warner Brothers is still clearly trying to save face and they're they're saying they really hope they can open it this year, this in 2020, but they're not uh, locking down a date right now, which is probably wise. It, it, she, she, they didn't say they hope to come out in 2020. It says that they still have a 2020 release date, but they don't give that release date. They're just like, it's like a 2020 TBA slot right. for now, right? which seems a little strange. Uh, do you, like... When do you think this is going to actually finally hit theaters? Like, could a lot of people are speculating that this could end up hitting theaters internationally before it hits theaters in the U.S.? I mean, I could definitely see that because uh, 
the fact of the matter is the U.S. does not have uh, their shit together. And <laughs> I don't see any sign of that changing. In fact, it's actually getting worse just from a a void of leadership. Whereas other, you know, other places on the globe, they're sort of getting back to normal. I mean, New Zealand is completely coronavirus free, which is amazing. And we could be that too, if we weren't such idiots. So I do think studios, not just this movie, just movies in general, they're going to have to make a decision soon. They can either just keep delaying everything and losing money or they could say, you know, screw it. There's money to be made here. And if we have to open things internationally first, so be it. And I, you know, I honestly could see that becoming the new normal, at least as long as everything in America is a uh, hellscape. You know, hopefully one day we'll, we'll get beyond this. But for now, I could definitely see studios doing that. And Christopher Nolan typically makes more than half of his box office off uh, outside of the U.S. So he has a big international uh, following or fan base, I guess you'd say. Uh, he, has, he has prestige overseas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to butt in and say that Peter made an inadvertent Nolan reference by using the word following, but Chris right, well, took it to its logical conclusion. <laughs> yes, I, I heard following. I jumped off it from there. Well, here's the question for you. Like, I know we're like going three degrees away from the story now, but if if they do release this overseas, like, how do you think this that would impact the United States? Really, like, do you think I, like there has never been a situation like this with a film this big that that has happened? Would that like cripple the the U.S. box office for this film? Because I feel like even people I know that are for the most part very moral would like feel would feel the pull of that piracy right there the, the, to possibly download the copy I, of the tenant. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what gets uploaded because if that happens, the piracy as I see it would be the old school piracy where it's people in a theater filming with a camera and uh, you know, those, you know, some people can watch those. I've tried to watch a few of those in the past and I just can't, it's just too distracting for me. So I do feel like, there will be some people who just be like, screw it. If this is the only way I can watch the movie via some, someone's grainy cell phone cam, I will do it. But I do think there will be people who will hopefully hold out for an actual HD version of the film. Should it ever arrive? Yeah. You know, Chris Nolan is like anxiously like twitching right now. As you say that he's like HD. I made this for the IMAX screen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and, yeah, and I, I honestly, it's, it, I think the reason that they're not announcing a date yet is because they're really trying, especially Nolan, he's, he really wants to keep the U.S. box office alive. And it, the minute they say this movie isn't coming out till 2021, like it's going to be a, a, a chain effect, basically. There'll be dominoes. And I don't know if the U.S. box office, as we know it, can survive that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that right now, because, Ben, you wrote this article about kind of asking the question, uh, could U.S. theaters stay closed until mid-2021? Is that a, like is that actually going to happen? Well, there's this analyst who uh, The Hollywood Reporter wrote about this analyst who's been doing you know research for this company for 20-something years, and he, he basically put out a, a statement, a report, um, essentially saying, 
we've extended the timeline to when theaters might reopen in a significant manner out to at least mid-2021, and we do not rule out the possibility that the impact could last even longer. Um, This person says that, uh, I'll I'll quote here, we now expect domestic theaters to be largely closed until mid-2021, in part because we don't think studios will be interested in releasing their largest movies into a capacity-constrained footprint. And one of the things that we didn't talk about with the tenant conversation that I guess is maybe speculation, maybe an idea being floated around internally at Warner Brothers is the idea of potentially, like we talked about, releasing the movie internationally before releasing it domestically. But then once you get into the United States, potentially releasing the movie in certain cities where the coronavirus is not as bad as it is in other places. So that... Idea. Wait, wait. So you're you're suggesting it's going to be the opposite of what it's been for the last like what like fifty hundred years, where usually it starts at the coast, like right. you know L A and New York, and it's going to be doing the inverse of that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's just a possibility. That's it's not uh you know set in stone yet, but it's you know it, it, we're in unprecedented times. Studios are are thinking outside the box and trying to come up with some interesting strategies for how they might do this stuff. And and this analyst basically says, I don't think studios are going to do that, but um you know it, it depends. We'll we'll have to see what happens. But I just wanted to bring up those two possibilities as like things that could happen. So on one hand, you have this sort of un, unprecedented, like uh, interesting sort of inverse rollout situation that we were just talking about. And then on the other hand, if that doesn't happen, then maybe domestically theaters in the large part will be closed until the middle of next year, which is kind of crazy to think about. And I, I don't know, I mean, as Chris was just talking about, I'm, I'm not sure that the theatrical landscape in the United States is going to be able to handle something like that because you know, independent theaters, especially are already like, even, you know, after only a month or two of coronavirus, we're feeling the hit really, really significantly. And I just don't know. I mean, you've got bigger change, like, like, um, you know, AMC and stuff like that. They've, they're working on deals to, I think Brad mentioned on a recent episode of the the podcast about uh, debt deals and all that stuff that'll sort of keep them afloat for a little while. But like, uh, the middle of next year, I, I mean, you know, from a safety perspective, uh, from a safety standpoint, that might be the the right move, um, you know, to a point where people can feel comfortable going back to the movies again. But from like just a, a purely uh, financial economic perspective for a lot of these theaters and, and the chains themselves, even I'm just not sure how viable that is. I, don't know. I thought for sure by August, like things were going to like movie theaters were going to reopen, maybe not with like big thumbs, like tenant, maybe showing older movies or, you know, smaller movies. But, uh, you know, I thought at very least this fall, like we would, we would see the movie theaters open it's to hear that they might not reopen until mid 2021. That That is scary. Like, what do you think the domino effect of that could be? Well, I mean, in addition to, or yeah, I guess, you know, I'm guessing a lot of independent theaters would just straight up close because they wouldn't be able to afford to stay closed and and continue paying their rent and and all of that kind of stuff for that long. Um, Obviously the release dates, the, the shuffling of the release dates would be a big deal and things would get even more crammed than they already are going to be. Um, God, I mean, (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing because like, you know, on one hand, it's just, it's movies, it's entertainment. This is like secondary to like the real life stuff that we all are dealing with and going through right now. But 
you know, acknowledging that, um, you know, that, that there are more important things in the world yeah. than, than this, it still is an industry that affects a hell of a lot of people, uh, you know, just in terms of like the workforce and stuff, not even mentioning, you know, us just as, as consumers of this stuff. So the, the, uh, uh, long-term effects could be pretty catastrophic in the long run. I don't know, Chris, do you have any thoughts on like what, what this whole thing could mean if, if theaters just stay closed until the middle of next year? I, I really don't. I just, I can't see theaters surviving i don't know i want this to be over <laughs> i just <laughs> it's just it's infuriating because the solution is right there if everyone would just it wouldn't even be like a long-term thing if anyone would just like take a full month to just check themselves and wear masks and avoid going pretty much everywhere we could really just stop all this and people are just so but it's not it's not even avoid going anywhere like other countries where people wore masks and stayed six feet away from each other. Countries that like karaoke bars were still open and thriving, but people wore masks and like stayed away from each other. They quashed this thing. Like, you know, it, it's insane. It's like, it, how are we screwing this up so badly? I don't understand. There's I really just this, I, I just, I don't know what, the, I don't want to get all like doom and gloom, but it just every day, there's just another story that makes me feel like we're beyond we're past the point of no return here like i just don't know when things are going to get better and it just it's maddening because the solution is there and there are just this this facet of people who are like no i refuse to i refuse to accept that solution i would rather everyone die and it's like i i I don't know how you respond to that (laughs) okay well we talked about earlier you know the possibility of tenant and other films opening internationally before they open domestically in the u.s uh, th- there might be a problem here. There's a runtime being rumored for this latest Chris Nolan film, and that runtime might prevent it from being released in China, which is, you know, one of the biggest places for box office these days outside, outside the U.S. Uh, so Chris, what do we know? Uh, yeah, so Tenet is uh, reportedly 150 minutes long, which is pretty much par for the course for uh, Christopher Nolan films at this point. But that's too long for um, theaters in China. They have a, they have a cutoff time. And uh, as a result, they just might not play the movie. What What is the cutoff time? Like two hours? Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess my question is, you know, China is too big of a, a place to like, be like, Oh, we, we can, just forget China. You know, we just won't open in China. We'll open in the rest of the world. So do you think like no one would even consider making a 30 minute shorter cut for China? Maybe. I mean, if it gets to the point where this has to open overseas before it opens in America, then yes, I could absolutely see that happening. But I also feel like he's one of those people who's like, ah, my, my artistic vision. I don't want to, alter it for anyone so i i don't know i don't i don't want to speak for mr christopher nolan who knows who knows what goes on in that big old head of his <laughs> that two hour limit thing is kind of weird because like avengers endgame is a long movie that's like two and a half hours right like i mean i don't know the exact number but it's something in that realm and yeah. that movie made 614 million dollars in china where we're, we're were the Chinese audiences shown well, a different cut of Avengers Endgame? Well, no, I don't think it has to do with that. I think it has to do with um, they want people to be in masks in theaters. And I'm, I'm guessing yeah, I think this is like a new thing. That makes way more sense. Yeah, it's for safety. I, I think they feel like if people are in the theater for 
two, more than two hours. I'm not sure why two hours is the, the time there, but for more than two hours, then they'll be more likely to take off their masks and that would be bad. So yeah, in theory, yes. Yeah. I, I just wonder how they came up with the two hour. Like that seems so arbitrary. That seems so arbitrary just like to fit like most movies and not really like, like they consulted healthcare professionals, but I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. Let's, let's move on from the coronavirus. Let's talk about Marvel. Uh, Hawkeye has recruited uh, two directors or two sets of directors. Uh, ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Bert and Birdie, which is a, a female writing slash directing duo who directed this uh, movie called Troop Zero, which is uh, an Amazon original movie, uh, have been hired to direct Hawkeye. And also, uh, I believe you pronounce his name, Reese Thomas, who is a Saturday Night Live veteran who directed this Amazon uh, comedy show called Comrade Detective. And he recently directed John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Um, so, yeah, the, these are the directors for Hawkeye. And um, both of these, uh, I guess, sets of, of filmmakers are primarily known for comedy stuff. So that's sort of an interesting take on Hawkeye to me, because for me, Hawkeye has been like one of the least funny people in the entire MCU. I mean, he's had some, <laughs> yeah. some moments here and there, but he's... I mean, think about Avengers Endgame and like <laughs> Hawkeye ditches the Hawkeye nickname, becomes Ronin and just like kills a bunch of Asian people. And that's like not really the uh, the <laughs> picture of hilarity there. But um, I don't know. Well, maybe this, this is supposed to be like a passing of the torch to Kate Bishop, right? Right. I which think. may or may not be played by Haley Steinfeld. I don't think we have like a f- official confirmation on that. I, I know we talked about it a while ago when her name was sort of attached to that role, but I, I'm still not sure sure if that deal 100% went through. But we do know that Jeremy Renner is coming back to play Clint Barton again. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of thinking that like maybe Marvel saw how uh, Taika Waititi resurrected the character of Thor a little bit and, and brought him back and, and sort of gave him new life uh, with that comedic approach in Thor Ragnarok. And maybe Kevin Feige and the the Marvel creative team are, are looking to do something similar with Hawkeye. Um I also don't want to just, you know, because these filmmakers have done comedy, imply that that's the only thing that they're, that they're capable of. But it certainly yeah. seems to be, um, you know, just based on their past credits, what Marvel is is uh, hoping that they can bring to this project. Well, have either of you seen the, the films that they have made previously? I saw Troop Zero, which I thought was... Um, you know, sappy and sweet and uh, basically like school of rock meets little miss sunshine. And I was not, um, there's nothing at all about that movie that made me think, Oh, these people are, are next in line to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, called up to the big leagues by Marvel. It's, it, 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 it's basically just like a small indie movie that has no signs of, um, you know, uh, larger aspirations or anything like that. But, um, but I don't know. What? But can we talk about that for a second? I like I, I've been thinking a lot lately. Like it seems like since phase one, like phase one, you can there might this might not fall in line completely for, but it, it really seems like Marvel is take, taking kind of a hipster approach to who they hire as directors. Like it, it seems like every director they hire for the project they're hiring seems like at least a very weird, odd choice, if not a horrible choice and it ends up being the right choice. Right. Um, 
Well, Alan Taylor for Thor The Dark World, I would say, was was kind of a miss. I, um, no, but I mean, I guess he's a little bit more obvious, too. Yeah, because he did Game of Thrones and they're trying trying to emulate Game of Thrones. But I'm just trying to say, like, you know, it, it never seems like like on, on the surface, you know, hiring Taika Waititi to do Thor doesn't seem like a home run. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a mix of the two, right? Because you've got Ryan Coogler who was hired for Black Panther who made Creed before. And it was like, oh, yeah, this guy clearly, you know, his, his career is moving up in like incremental steps. And I can totally see how uh, he could bring that sort of sensibility and, and you know, make a great Marvel movie. And sort of same thing with Scott Derrickson, who, who had done um, some horror stuff before he directed Doctor Strange. Um, same thing with the Russos almost, you know, you've, you've almost got like community and, and, and their TV work as like a stepping stone toward Captain America Civil War. So or, but, but you have uh, a lot or, of people like John Watts, who did Cop Car at Sundance and you know, gets Spider-Man Homecoming or right. you get the, uh, the people that did Captain America, the directing duo there. I or Captain Marvel. Yeah. Or uh, Captain Bowden, Marvel. Yeah. Bowden and Fleck. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like there's a lot of odd choices. I'm not saying that they all are home runs, but it, it just they're not usually the obvious. But I, I guess you're saying you're you're looking at a pure career you know. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um and I, I think you're I think you're probably more right than I am in this instance, Peter, especially if you take into account the films that we haven't seen yet. You've got uh, Kate Shortland directing Black Widow, who a lot of people had never heard of her before, and probably the same thing with Chloe Zhao, who's directing The Eternals. Um, Destin Daniel Cretton had directed a couple of small things before Shang Chi, so yeah, I, I think you're you're yeah. probably uh, you're probably right, you know, numbers wise there. But um, you know, another thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, it seems like previously this is one of the Disney Plus Marvel series, and previously it seems like Disney has wanted and Disney and Marvel has wanted to take the approach where they have one filmmaker who is directing all the episodes of the show. But this is the first time that we're getting a set of two different filmmakers. Well, any theories on why it would be for this? Hmm. Is, is this the first time? I feel like. I think so. I feel I, like I, I, there was another for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think there might be a separate set of of directors for that too. Man, I can't remember now. Those those directors were announced so long ago. No, and... no, that's Carrie Skogland. I'm oh, really? That's the that only one. person listed for that. Or at least on IMDb, hmm. if, which could be wrong. Okay, I, I, I believe, but like that was their approach. Like I had talked to filmmakers who had met with Marvel, and that was like their approach was they they wanted filmmaker driven series. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, huh. I don't know, and I I wonder if it has to do with the specific story that they're telling in Hawkeye. If that's like they have one filmmaker come in who who is maybe a little bit more um, adept at directing a certain type of story and then bringing in this other you know filmmaker or filmmaker team to grab the the back half of the series when the tone changes or something like that i wonder yeah. if that has something to do with it like if it's a story driven decision or if it's just they're trying to introduce a, a myriad number of voices into the effect it also could be they're using these uh these shows as like a farm team like a farm league like uh you know oh, giving, kind of how pixar giving, was doing with the short films yeah giving people chances to see if maybe they're you know uh they sh they prove themselves and can actually you know step up and direct their full movie or something like that later on interesting well, if Black Widow ever comes out and I get a chance to talk to Kevin Feige, this will be one of the questions I'll ask him because I'm curious <laughs> about this. Um, but let's move on. Let's talk about Greece. They're doing a prequel. We've 
I think previously talked about this on the podcast, uh, but they have hired a director. Chris, tell us about it. Yes, uh, the Grease prequel, which is called Summer Lovin', is being directed by Brett Haley, who directed uh, Hearts Beat Loud, which was a, a very good uh, little indie dramedy. And um, this film is, <laughs> for, first of all, I'm, I'm always positive they're going to change the name because they love brand recognition, and it'll probably be called like Grease Origins or something like that. And then second of all, the movie uh, is about how Danny and Sandy, the John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John characters, met before the events of the film. But the, the very weird thing about this is we already see how they met in the actual Grease movie. Like the first few minutes of the Grease movie recaps all this. So I don't really understand the point of an entire movie devoted to that. But what do I know? I don't work for Paramount Pictures. Hmm. Uh Okay, you you said that, that his film Heart Beats Loud. I saw this. This uh, the, did this premiere at Sundance? I think mm-hmm. it was definitely one of the festivals. So yeah, yeah, it, it's a it's a sweet movie. Does like his involvement make you a little bit more excited for this totally unnecessary Grease prequel? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And another interesting thing is when this news first got announced. Uh, it was reported that John August was writing the script, and he's a really good screenwriter, but this new news doesn't mention him at all. And in fact, it says uh, Leah McKendrick is handling the script. So I guess whatever John August was doing is completely out the window now. So even that element is different now. So I I, I have never liked Grease. I, I've never really understood. I like musicals, but I've never really liked Grease, and I've never understood the appeal of it. So I, I, I can't say a Grease prequel is at the top of my list of things I want to see. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, l- let's move on to our last story because we're running out of time today. Uh, this one is from last week. Netflix revealed its 10 most popular original movies. Ben, tell us about it. Yes. So I'm going to run down these movies and then we can talk about what it might mean. So uh, Netflix, you know, which is notoriously a stingy company when it comes to releasing its viewership data for the very first time released this top 10 list of its most popular originals. And they are uh, in the order from most popular to least popular in the top 10. Here we go. Extraction, Bird Box, Spencer Confidential, Six Underground, Murder Mystery, The Irishman, Triple Frontier, The Wrong Missy, The Platform, and The Perfect Date. So Extraction, uh, the the Chris Hemsworth action movie, is still coming in hot at number one. Um, and and uh, yeah, there, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you want to... Uh, to uh, yeah, so so almost 100 million people have watched Extraction to give you an idea. And they're saying The Perfect Date, which is number 10 on this list, 48 million. So mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the top one on this top 10 list, you know, double the amount of people watch that than watch the one on the, the, the lowest. Uh, so I guess the question to you is like, you know, what what lessons are we learning from seeing these top 10? Like, I think a lot of people were surprised that it. I don't know. I think a lot of people think of Netflix as kind of like um, I, they're kind of positioned as like they started off like, uh, you know, they they're they're trying to get into the Oscar game. They're trying to, you know, be a champion of filmmakers. And so I've seen some some response online to this, that it, it this kind of shows the opposite, that they like that Netflix's future is not in auteur filmmaking. 
Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think the these numbers just show the kind of stuff that people watch at a higher rate. You know, like uh, yeah. basically, and I've seen some specular or some some analysis to this effect that basically, like this list means that people who watch Netflix are largely older than us and just are watching things that are familiar to them. Like a lot of, the, I think one of the lessons you can take is that, like, you know, put a um, put together a type of movie that Hollywood used to make and make it and put it on Netflix and people will watch it. Uh, you know, like a mid budget, um, you know, uh, sort of a solid, uh, thriller or, or action movie or comedy or whatever. And, and put in, you know, a very familiar face who's been a movie star for a long time. And that will get a lot of people's attention on Netflix. You've got a lot of parents and stuff who are just like sitting around clicking through the endless scroll of what Netflix has to offer. And when you see, Mark Wahlberg or Sandra Bullock or somebody familiar pop up, uh, Adam Sandler, you know, uh, uh, De Niro for the Irishman on here. Um, I think that that holds a lot of sway that that has a lot of power. Um, and, and this top 10 list seems to bear that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm just surprised that some people are kind of like, I guess, so shocked at this list, because to me, like, you know, you see what makes money in theaters and aside from you know big franchises it's it's usually the most accessible uh you know genre or action and you know you know it usually is a a a michael bay film or it is you know a film like bird box like this i don't know this to me doesn't seem all too surprising it seems kind of like to echo what we are seeing theatrically aside from the fact that Netflix doesn't have the franchises to, you know, adapt. I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think they're they're trying to make their own franchises. I mean, we've talked about an extraction sequel that is in the works right now. And I, I definitely think if they weren't developing one of those, they would now after realizing how many people watch that movie so far. And these numbers, by the way, you know, 99 million people, 48 million people are within the first four weeks of each of these movies releases. So it's possible that these will, you know, I mean, it's probable, actually, that these will just continue to rack up. And it's possible that other movies could sort of, uh, you know, like The Old Guard was just released recently. And that made that already has a ton of viewers. So if they were to release, you know, an updated version of this list in, you know, a month or something, The Old Guard could very easily be on here. And I I think they're probably going to be developing a sequel to that as well. So um, in terms of that stuff, you know, I think they're going to definitely continue to play to what people are watching. But I I also don't think that means that they are not going to I think that uh, they're not going to give up on trying to win Oscars, too. I I think that's very, very important to the people at the heads of Netflix, you know, the people in charge of the company. And I think they're not going to stop until (laughs) until they take home that top prize, even if it means that, um, that that's money that they're siphoning away from other things. But that's the thing with Netflix is they have so much money and make so many movies a year that they can do both. They can just continue to chase Oscars forever as long as they can release, you know, one or two murder mystery level movies a year or triple <laughs> frontiers or the wrong missies or whatever. And that will continue to, uh, to satisfy their, their subscriber base. Yeah. I, I know on film Twitter, there was a couple tweets I saw, uh, talking about how Roma isn't on this list. And that was like, had a huge push from, from Netflix. It was a big Oscar movie. And I'm like, 
of course Roma's on this. It, yeah. It's a black and white movie with subtitles. Yeah, that, that was never going to ever be on this list. And I mean, I, I am curious to see like what the top, you know, 20 movies are, though, because I feel like that would yeah. be um, I guess you could just continue that out. I, I, I could just get greedy and just say, I want to know what the top 30 are. Like, I always want to know what's just outside of, of making the cut. But I really do think, you know, another 10 movies uh, added to this list would paint a clearer picture of the types of stuff that that people are really, really drawn to. Because there's there's a, a decent mixture of, uh, you know, mindless action and like uh, The Irishman, which is like one of Chris's favorite movies and like a, a heady Scorsese kind of uh, movie about death and, and aging and all of that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you know, The Wrong Missy, which is like a dumbass looking happy Madison comedy, like all, all in the same list. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of interesting, but um, I wish we had a, a, a clearer picture of, of all these things. Yeah. Chris, do you have any observations on what, what this 10 most popular original movies list like says for Netflix in its future? Uh, it says people love watching garbage because 90% of the movies <laughs> on this list are, are awful. <laughs> That's that's really all I have to say. Uh, I'm not surprised by this list, honestly, because it, this is more or less the list I would expect to see. But whew, <laughs> a lot of these movies are not good. So I, I am like extraction is not good. I'm sorry. I know I know Chris Hemsworth is a handsome man, but that is not a good movie. And the fact that that's the most watched is uh, it's not surprising. It's just disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, <laughs> like an angry parent. <laughs> okay, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the links to all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you on Wednesday.